The Business Buzz Podcast. The, the Business Buzz. Good evening and welcome to the Business Buzz right here on VFM 88.1. My name is Mudio Mob, just discovers and I'll be in studio with you until about 8 p.m. Um, who's to say that the world of business can't be entertaining? Uh, definitely make sure you hold on to your seats because we're going to be enlightening you on how the world of money, economics and business affects you and your pocket. We are broadcasting live from our studios right here in Bramfontein, Johannesburg. And as I said, we are here until about 8 p.m. Um, so, how does the show look for like uh, for today? Uh, we're going to be talking about elections because, as you know, on the 8th of May, um, South Africa is going to be entering, it should be the 6th, it should be the 5th or the 6th um, general election uh, that South Africa has had since independence. Uh, so, we're going to be talking about what the ramifications of that could be um, on the economy, on business, and just talking to some experts around what uh, some of the predictions could be and uh, what South Africa will look like um, after those uh, ballots have been cast. So that's how the show is going to be looking like. Uh, So instead of uh, just doing the usual show where we talk about the candidates, we're particularly going to focus a lot just around what uh, economic policies are going to be looking like and also perhaps some um, demographic data just around how that will affect the elections. So that's how the show is going to be looking like for today otherwise uh, remember that you can uh, stay in touch with us um, online on social media we are Vow FM that's uh, Voice of Vits and you can find our Facebook page that's uh, Vow FM that's uh, Voice of Vits and also we have our other Facebook page that's Vits Radio Academy on Twitter we're at Vow FM and then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz on WhatsApp we're 0840784912 and you can also stream the station live on vowfm.co.com ZA. Remember that podcasts of the Business Buzz Show are available on vids.journalism.co.za forward slash business. Otherwise, for the rest of the hour, on the other side of this, we're going to be giving you our business wrap. That's a part of the show where we give you a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news, followed by our Buffalo Index, where we tell you the state of your 100 rand. Otherwise, uh, to look forward to our main topic, we're going to be having a telephonic discussion with uh, Paul uh, Berkowitz, who is an economist and researcher together as being a a consultant, uh, as well as uh, Mr. Darby Ruet, who is an economist, uh, just around some of the possible effects of the election on the economy. So that's how the show is looking like. On the other side of this, we get into our business wrap. Keep it locked. This is the Business Buzz. Business Wrap with Ken Sweatman. It's time for us uh, to get into the week's top trending business and economics news. And on the line, we're joined by a financial expert. We have Ken Sweatman. How are you, Ken? I'm very well this evening, and yourself? Huh? I'm fine, thank you. Um, so for today, we are talking about uh, the upcoming election, which is happening just before our show next week, and we wanted to maybe chat with you around what um, the effects on the markets might be, I guess, preceding the elections and some of the possible effects after the election. Yes, uh, certainly. Well, w- one always has to bear in mind that the stock market in particular doesn't work on what is happening, but works on what it thinks will happen yeah it always works on it always prices in if i can call it that so expectations and to be honest with you we've had almost no reaction on our market now that would suggest that the elections are going to go well 
and there's no reasons why they shouldn't because South Africa does have a history since 1994 of doing free and fair elections without the problems that we see in, in other African countries in particular. So at the moment, unless there is a huge surprise in the election, we're not expecting any major market reaction at all. Huh? Um, so from that point of view, uh, in terms of, as you said, uh, people, the market doesn't necessarily react on what's going to on what's happening, but rather on what's going to happen. Um, so, what are some of the, I guess, possible predictions? Because I think from the business community, the attitude uh, that seems to be prevailing at the moment is uh, there's a wait and watch um attitude that's there will we likely to see uh more inflows in terms of uh more liquidity into the jsc uh, with people buying up more south african stocks after the election or after they have some um certainty just around policy yes i would i would certainly hope so in fact uh, the economy this year could be a year of two halves we we've we started off well uh, in inverted commas. So when I when I say well, it's it's better than 2018. The stock market we've had a good run so far this year, but business confidence is still down, and that is business in general. What doing a wait and see attitude. But the ideal, in, in my opinion, the ideal outcome for an election would in fact be the ANC getting a majority of at least 60 percent. The, the reason for that is it will give a continuation uh, for the economy. It will allow our president to put in some of the economic reforms which he's been talking about but hasn't really been able to implement yet because of the election. And by giving the, the current ruling party another five-year mandate, it will allow them to try and fix up uh, the economy and then put in some of these economic uh, the reforms that they're talking about. Some of them have started, uh, you know, at SARS, we have a new commissioner, there's a bit of a shake-up at at ESCOM and some of the other SOEs. So there there has been moves in that direction, but if we don't have a a clear mandate to our ruling party, it is going to create some sort of of disparity because other other, um, political parties coming into government have other economic ideas. So at the end of the day, we need continuation, and if it all goes smoothly and we get that, I see no reason why... Our economy shouldn't stabilize. We keep it up at Moody's above investment grade, and we start seeing some inflows not only into the stock market, but also uh, private investment as well. And then in terms of the RAND, I think uh, something that our listeners might want to know is, has there been any volatility or is there any volatility, unexpected volatility in the RAND um, leading up to elections? I'm glad you used the word unexpected. Uh, at the moment, <laughs> not. It, it, it has weakened very slightly, um, but that's not unexpected activity. The, the REM goes up and down uh, within a range at the moment, and we, we do seem to be trading very much in the range between 14 and 14.50 to the dollar and between 18 and 19 to the pound. And then that's where it's trading. It's not gone out of those boundaries for some time now. So, um, no, there's been no unexpected changes in the, in the exchange rate. And certainly the economy is pointing towards the fact that it expects a free and fair election, it expects the elections to go smoothly, and it expects the ANC to come back in with maybe a slightly smaller majority than it had in the last elections, but still with a a majority where it does not need to go into coalition with any other political party in order to rule the country. Because the second we have that, that's going to create the uncertainty that we certainly don't need in our economy at the moment. So um, all all signs point to the fact that in two weeks' time we might be talking about how good things went, and that then, therefore, as I said, a a year of two halves. 
we should start seeing what uh, the economists like to call green shoots in the economy during the second half of this year. And by the end of the year, hopefully some, some good news to take into 2020 with us. Sir. And by green shoots, do you mean fresh money onto the market or, um, I guess, new listings? And no, no, nothing to do with the market, just the economy in general, that, that things start improving. It comes from the fact we all know what a burnt piece of felt looks like in South Africa, and <laughs> it goes all black. And then very soon afterwards, the, the, the plants start growing again, and, and these little green shoots come out of the ground. Yeah. Well, we've had a pretty black economy um, in general since about mid-2015. Yeah. We, we've had almost zero growth. Uh, unemployment is still high. We've got no uh, real investment coming into the country. Our stock market's been flat. So um, the green shoots are, are the growth or the start of the growth in the economy after a pretty black time in, in this country for a while. And we want to see job creation, and we need, we need private investment for that coming into the country. Yeah. And hopefully those signs will be there if all goes well in the elections. By the end of this year, we will see those green shoots, and that will all go well for 2020, 2021, and, and the years after that. So that was us on the line uh, with our ex- financial expert, that's Ken Swettenham, um, just giving us a roundup of the week's top trend in business and economics news. As you heard, the big thing is the fact that we are going to elections next Wednesday, and right now the market seems to be you know, quite stable. There's a wait-and-watch attitude amongst investors. Um, the rand hasn't been experiencing that much uh, volatility, a little bit of weakening, but nothing too crazy. And as Ken said, uh, hopefully in two weeks' time, uh, we will be starting to see some of the green shoots um, coming up in the economy. So that's it in terms of the business wrap. On the other side of this, we get into the state of your 100 rand. Keep it locked. This is the business buzz. The, the business buzz. It's time for us to tell you the state of your 100 rand uh, with our Buffalo Index. And for today, because we're going to elections, I thought that it might be a good idea for us to perhaps give you... um, what I like to call an election starter kit. You know, if you are a voter, if you are a person who wants to exercise their democratic rights, if you are a person who wants to effect change next week and you want to take part in the democratic process, then these, I think, are some of the things that I think you need. Uh, so this is the starter pack. Number one, you're going to need your ID documents. Uh, luckily, if everything is in order, that's zero buffaloes, uh, which means it's priceless. Uh, number two, you're going to need a smartphone or a phone of any kind, you know, that's going to set you back, uh, you know, between 20 and 200 buffaloes, uh, just so that you can stay stay in touch, you know, let people know. I guess you can also let people know on social media, take a picture of your thumb, you know, stuff like that, and let people know that you voted. Number three, you definitely need some earphones. And that's going to set you back between one and three buffaloes because as you're standing in line, you need to be, you need to have either the tunes in your ear or some, or some radio, perhaps some Vow FM playing in the background as you're getting ready to exercise, exercise your rights. And then at number four, uh, you're going to need a water bottle. Very important if you're standing in line, depending on which part of the country you're in, uh, because I know we're going into winter, but uh, water is an essential, and that's about half a buffalo. And then uh, number th- number five is a power bank. A power bank. In 2019, you can't be moving around without 
a power bank especially if you're going to be standing in line for a number of hours depending on how long or short your uh, your queue is because you know you can't play candy crush on a phone that has a flat battery so you need to have a power bank that's uh, between two and four buffaloes and then you depending on how how extreme you want to go or how relaxed you want to be you can bring yourself a foldable chair uh, that's going to set you back between three and five buffaloes and then uh, depending on, as well depending on what the weather conditions are like next week uh, you might also want to have an umbrella uh, protect yourself from the elements whether it's the sun or whether it's uh, the rain and that's about one and a half buffaloes um, related to that the next thing on the list is a blanket that's going to set you back around two buffaloes and by a blanket uh, this is an all-purpose uh, instrument that I feel is quite essential because if it's cold as we said we're going into winter right now so it might be cold in the queue uh, so you might warm yourself up but in the event that uh, the elements become a bit tricky like the rain for example example then you might be able to protect yourself in that way using a blanket uh the next one is snacks i think one buffalo will be good on that on snacks you know just have a little things you know some sweets some nuts maybe some water uh keep yourself refreshed and then uh the last one the second last one sorry uh, this one is uh maybe maybe not is a gum boots you know depending on which part of the country as i said again uh, that you're voting and if it happens to rain where you are you know you need to be able to stand and depending is there mud is there no mud so i think gumboots at wamba flow will be good and then the last thing you definitely need in your election starter kit is some patience because sometimes these uh, processes can take quite some time so that's it in terms of the buffalo index uh, that's how the your 100 rand is going to be looking like um come election day next week uh, we hope that uh, someone out there has been listening and was um, inspired somehow. I'm just going to run through the list without the cost. So, number one, ID documents, smartphone, earphones, water bottle, power bank, foldable chair, umbrella, blanket, snacks, gum boots, and patience. That is the election starter kit. This is the business buzz. More justice on the business buzz. It's time for us to get into our main topic for today. We're talking about the impact of elections um, on economic stability and investor confidence on today's show. Uh, because as uh, we all know, on the 8th of May, um, South Africans will be going to the ballot for the general election. Uh, you can tell us some of your thoughts. Are you going to be voting? Um, are you going to be exercising your democratic rights? Or are you going to be abstaining? Let us know. On social media, we are Viafim. That's Voice of Vits. On Facebook, we also have our other facebook page that's uh, the vits radio academy on twitter we're at VFM, and then our hashtag is hashtag business buzz so as we said elections are six days away and we've come to witness the dropping and strengthening of the rand um, around these times we've also seen how it completely slumps uh, with the appointment of certain ministers and we also know that rating agencies and investors are keeping a watchful eye on the country uh, since there's an overlap between the economy and politics so how does all of this affect you as the voter uh, we're going to be talking to everyone uh, who will be making that cross on that ballot paper some may have not registered but regardless of that on the 8th of may a decision definitely has to be made perhaps you know which party is well deserving of your cross on that ballot paper uh, is it the party that you have always uh, voted for in your family 
party or is it the party that you resonate resonate with uh, because of its policies however you do it the implication um, is that it's going to have something to do with the country so on the line we're joined uh, by uh, Paul Berkowitz uh, who is any who is an economist and he's going to be letting us know uh, about uh, how some of the demographics in South Africa uh, might affect the outcomes of the elections how are you Paul thanks very much for having me um, so we understand that uh, you've uh, done some actual research just around what uh, demographics um, in South Africa look like and how some of that data might actually um, help to maybe not predict but give an indication of how the election is going to turn out. Can you just lead us through how that process, um, how, you, how that data was conducted and some of the insights you've been able to draw? Sure. We don't have a lot of good polling data like in the U.S. and the U.K. and other countries where they conduct surveys almost every other week and they break down potential voters by the age or by the gender or by the education level. You know, you might see articles in uh, the U.S. around the presidential elections or post-elections where they said college-educated white women voted like this and uh, men with only a high school education voted like that. We don't have that. We do have some information from the IEC itself, post-election. They've done post-election surveys, and that normally looks at the age of voters and the gender of the voters across the provinces at a national and the provincial level. And the other thing we do have is we've got information from the census itself, from stats down to the ward level or even the voting district level, that says what's the demographic. So you might say this ward in Tendisa or this ward in Santon, uh, 30% of the people who live there, their home language is Zulu, and the uh, age distribution looks like that. So we can compare wards to each other and say this ward voted like this and these are the numbers. What the evidence shows broadly, some interesting things, is that women vote in higher numbers than men. They register in higher numbers than men. And something like almost 60% of the votes that were cast in 2014 were cast by women. There's a a big gap of about 2.5 million votes. Mm. Something like 10.5 million women voted, only just over 8 million men voted. So we've got that. We also know, and this is probably of particular interest to most of the listeners, that the older you get, the more likely you are to be registered to vote and the more likely you are to turn out to vote. And that's uh, pretty much a global phenomenon that older people tend to vote in higher numbers than younger people. So one of the most interesting things um, that's come out of the voter registration process that's happened is that um, around 9 million South Africans did not um, register to vote. Does this skew the data in any way or have an influence um, as to some of the patterns that uh, you've observed? It doesn't so much skew the data, but it it does have a a big effect. We are somewhere in between the developed and the developing country if we just look at age and population stats. You know, um, more developed countries in Europe, mostly America, they've got um, a more stable population. It's generally older. 
Ours is a bit younger, but it's not as young as more developing countries. The median age, if you lined up everyone by age, the person in the middle would be about 26, 27. Yeah. And if you look just in terms of the census numbers, there are more 20-somethings than there are 30-somethings, and there are more 30-somethings than 40-somethings, <laughs> but older people tend to be more registered to vote, and as we said, they tend to turn out to vote in higher numbers. Yeah. So although there's more 20-somethings, the actual numbers of people that vote, if you compare age cohort to age cohort, the 40-somethings normally turn out a bit more than the 20 and the 30-somethings. But again, and I know there's been a lot of articles and a lot has been made of this, people tend to, people register once. Once you're on the voters roll, you're on the voters roll. You might change your address and your details might change, but when you're on, you're on. So it makes sense that as um, an age cohort gets older, a bigger percentage of that age cohort is registered to vote because you've had more opportunities in your lifetime to register to vote. But it's also true, as you said, that um, most of the 9 million people over 18 who could register but aren't registered are younger. Um, Perhaps you could also uh, let us know, because as you said, we don't have good polling data. Is there a reason reason for that? Does it have to do with privacy in any way? Uh, Or the way that uh, uh, the Electoral Act is drawn up? a very good question and yes it does have something to do with that we we don't have what they call exit polls uh, they're not legal we're not allowed to survey companies aren't allowed to conduct exit polls in south africa what that means is that what an exit poll is is if you vote on wednesday and then i come to you with a clipboard on wednesday night till thursday and i say did you vote what's your age what's your gender what's your education level and how did you vote we'd be able to get a, a, a piece together this picture of how people voted. Yeah. The IEC does a kind of exit poll, which uses an external company, but the IEC focus is more on voter perceptions. How was the process? Like you said, did you have your folding chair and your water and your snacks? <laughs> was it easy to vote? What time did you vote? And that's more for the IEC's internal work so they can get better at their job, which is helping people register to vote and making the process as positive for South Africans as possible. But um, you're quite right. Because of uh, the Electoral Act and, and other laws, we don't have those exit polls. But more generally, we don't have... We, we still have quite a, a new industry when it comes to polling. We've got more companies... Now that are doing polls, uh, you might have seen from the Institute of Race Relations or Ipsos, or there's a new one from a company called Mark Data, and uh, it's growing every election. And I'm sure that come 2021 and the municipal elections and 2024, we're going to have better and better polls. But they are expensive. It uh, it, uh, costs money to find people, and it costs even more to interview them face-to-face. So we're still growing this industry. So how do, how can either businesses or the, I guess the the parties themselves actually make use of some of these insights? As you said, the data is quite limited. But what's the usefulness, and how can they actually help from I guess from a strategy point of view? Good question. Also, the two biggest parties, the ANC and the DA, they do conduct their own polls. They do have the the funds to do that. And the results of those have been released as the polls have been conducted. The numbers are different. And uh, maybe it's not surprising that the 
the poll that the ANC commissioned has got that party with a, a higher percentage of the vote, and the DA's poll has got the DA at a slightly higher percentage. And it can be very useful depending on how detailed it is and the kind of questions that are asked either by the, when the parties do their own polls or when they look at other polls. So, for example, uh, here's an interesting fact. The Institute for Race Relations, as well as asking people who they'd vote for, they also asked people who they'd vote for, and then they um, stratified that information by race group. So yeah. they found, for example, that 98% of the EFS supporters or people who were likely to vote for the EFS are black African. About 96% of the ANC supporters are black African, and the, the DA supporters are fairly mixed, but they have most of the votes of minority voters. Yeah. That's not too surprising because 80%, 81% of the country is black African. Yeah. So to extend the example, the DA could say, well, we knew this, but the data is confirming that we don't have a very large share of the black African voting pool, and that's where we need to go. We, we've tapped out when it comes to white, colored, and Indian voters. Whether they act on that information, whether their messaging is right, and whether some of their leaders are tweeting things that are alienating <laughs> potential new voters, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, and then, I guess now switching over more to the economy um one of the things that you that you mentioned um in your insights there was a presentation um that uh, was done i think it was uh with business day a few weeks ago and uh one of the insights was that in the last election um it's not that the DA won the election more than the ANC. It's that something like the ANC voters, people that were meant to vote for ANC, didn't come. But in the effect, but in the event that um, the ANC does not get that fifty percent uh, majority and ends up in a coalition government, um, for the economy, what does that mean? I think our uh, in our business rep, uh, Ken Swetenham was talking about how investors and the business community are looking for policy certainty. Um, so if that is to happen, what would that mean for the economy going forward? Okay, another good question. <laughs> <laughs> the mutual admiration society, that's fine. So investors by and large, and it's the same criticisms that I think uh, a lot of South Africans level against international investors, but investors the world over are generally quite risk-averse, they're quite conservative. As you said, they want policy certainty. And having spoken to some business leaders, some of the one or two um, colleagues from the big banks in South Africa, a larger ANC victory, a decisive victory, if the ANC were to get over 50% nationally, and well over 50%, not just 50%, but closer to 60%, that would generally be better for the market and the economy, at least in the short term. Yeah. If, conversely, if the ANC drops below 55% or even closer to 50 or as the latest poll from the IRR says, below 50% even, that would create a lot of policy uncertainty and uh, would almost certainly in the short term see the currency weaken and maybe scare off foreign direct investment. Yeah. For the right, and, and I'm not 
and I, I just want to underline here, I'm not saying that this is the right um, or, or the, the best or the most nuanced approach to how we do things, but the truth is that if the ANC does badly, two things could happen, and I think these are in the minds of investors. Firstly, it might be harder for President Ramaphosa and the faction within the ANC that's aligned to him to push forward and to push through the economic and the political reforms that investors think the country might need. And that there might be more fighting internally within the party and the alliance. And some people are even scared that a, a weak ANC victory or a poor result for the ANC could lead to Ramaphosa being kicked out of the party as the party president. And the other thing is that should the ANC drop below 50% nationally on Gauteng, it's most likely that it would form a coalition and the most likely coalition partner would be the EFF. And at this point, the EFF is very, very scary to international investors for the right or the wrong reasons. (laughs) That has been confirmed by some of the bankers we've spoken to. And they're actually saying for every percentage point that the ANC gets below 55%, the risk on the downside will increase that much more. So can we then, I guess, extrapolate that same thinking towards um, that same level of thinking towards how the ratings agencies will then affect, uh, will then perceive South Africa? I think to a degree, at least in recent years, not all the agencies, but movies for sure has been more patient and um, I guess more accommodating and, and more with a wait and see attitude than the international investors. If you're trading in the currency, you might get spooked immediately after the election and you might see the rand drop against the dollar immediately. But uh, the ratings agencies might wait and see what would happen even in the event of an EFF coalition with the ANC to see what policies would change and what wouldn't. Would there be uh, changes in the labor market? Would there be changes in public education? And of course, the thing that a lot of investors are afraid of, what would this mean for property rights and expropriation without compensation? But I think in general, the ratings agencies would be a bit more patient with us than, let's say, currency traders. Yeah. And then do you also then... I guess going forward, because one of the big things when it comes to the South African economy is this issue of growth and especially the 5% growth that uh, was initially highlighted by the by the National Development Plan and when it first came in and right now we're playing um, around the 1% region. Is there any hope that um, after elections we might see an upswing? Um, that will carry us towards decent numbers as the year progresses? I think the short answer is no, just because (laughs) a lot of the things that would affect our growth over the medium term and the long term would take a bit longer to come to fruition. It's the structural changes, uh, for example, would there be changes in public education? Would there be maybe changes in immigration policy for... um, skilled workers who are are foreign nationals? Would there be any changes in property clauses in the Constitution and the mining charter? Even if all the policy changes happen that would please investors, the effects would still take a little bit of a while to come through. 
because of some of the policy uncertainty in the last years, some investors have already been scared off. Not forever, but for example, I can speak of a, another business colleague who works directly with companies that do foreign direct investment, and a number of them, again, rightly or wrongly, who were worried when um, the expropriation without compensation debate came to Parliament, and the debate was mainly between the NFS and the ANC, uh, some of these potential foreign investors said, we, we are going to push pause, we're going to wait a year, we'll come back to you sometime next year, but we're not investing for now. Yeah. As to the numbers you're talking about, the growth numbers, and you're quite right, the initial target uh, when the National Development Plan was launched in 2010-2011 was, I think, 5.4% annual growth. Yeah. But we haven't had 5.4% growth since probably near the end of the Mbeki administration in 2005 or 6 or 7. Yeah. So as you realize, as you can understand, for every year that we've gone below that, it means that to catch up to where we want to be by 2030, we'd have to go above that 5.4%. Mm. Now at the moment... If we look at the national budget, and it's developed over what they call a medium-term expenditure framework, where the budget actually has like a three-year window. It doesn't just look at projected GDP growth for this year, but it looks at the next years as well. We are not expected to even get close to 2% growth over the next three years. And that already takes us to 2021-2022. So sorry to be the bearer of bad news. We've got a lot of ground to catch up. And it's unlikely, in my opinion, we're going to get to that 5% growth anytime soon. It would take, even if everything went right, it might take three, four, five years to approach growth of that level. So, as you heard, uh, that was us on the line with Paul Berkowitz, who is an economist, researcher, and consultant, letting us know some of the insights that uh, that they've been able to do, uh, given the research that they've done into South Africa's demographics, highlighting the need uh, for South Africa to have better polling data, and also just letting us know um, that this election, uh, depending on the outcome, is going to have um, a lot of weight, um, just given uh, the investment community which is very iffy at the moment and uh, one of the things that he ends off by saying is just the fact that uh, for us to get to the five percent growth that was outlined in the national development plan there's a lot that really really needs to be done if people are going to catch up to that vision 2030 and it's unlikely that we're going to see such numbers in 2019 so that was us with paul on the other side of this we sort of get more into the economic debate we've done the demographic now we want to get into the 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 investors and uh, that investor confidence and perhaps even um, some of the economic policies um, that are being offered by the parties keep it locked this is the business buzz you're tuned in to the business buzz we're talking elections, we're talking economic stability, we are talking investor confidence. This is um, the business bus and you can get in touch with us on social media. On Facebook we are VARFM, that's the voice of Vitz and our other Facebook page is the Vitz Radio Academy. On Twitter we're at VARFM and you can find our hashtag, that's hashtag business buzz. So we've spoken to Paul and he's given us uh, some of the data uh, and the lack thereof in terms of uh, polling data in South Africa and how um, some of 
the demographic uh, shifts in South Africa might um, actually impact the, uh, the outcome of the election. But right now we want to focus more on the economy and what uh, the parties may have in terms of uh, their economic plans. And on the line, we're joined by someone who is not a stranger to the business bus. Uh, we have economist and director at Efficient Group, Davi wrote on the line. How are you, Davi? I am absolutely amazing. Thank you so much, and it's very nice talking to you tonight. Thank you so much for just giving us your time. I think one of the things that's happened in past years is that uh, uh, the local currency has tended to strengthen um, in the month before voting commences and actually weaken a few weeks um, after it has passed. Do you think um, that these upcoming elections will likely see um, the the same influence and actually have that same currency impact? Well, the short answer is I don't really know, but yes, it's a kind of a guesstimate. The medium, longer term outlook for the currency is only one way. The rand's going to go weaker. There are very good fundamental reasons for that. So I have very little doubt about that. And apart from that, I also believe that we're going to see downgrades and that sort of stuff. And that will lead to outflow of capital, and that's going to be bad for the currency. But in this this, uh, uh, time around, I suspect is that the day after the elections, and, uh, and everything has been going smoothly, and it becomes clear that the ANC is going to win, whether it's with a smaller margin, it doesn't really matter, but they're going to get more than 50%, say, I think the market is going to be, going to be a bit of a sigh of relief, and I think we're going to see a bit of a rally on, um, on the exchange rate of the currency, because I think the financial markets will reckon so the president will be consolidating his powers. And there are going to be some political moves. He's going to kick out a couple of bad apples out of the <laughs> cabinet. Uh, and he's going to start doing some good stuff. So, so I, I've got a suspicion that the RAND has come around. I think the, the RAND is sort of in, in waiting mood at the moment, the financial markets, seeing what's going to happen after the elections and then in anticipation of some nice moves as far as the cabinet choices are concerned that I think the rent's going to sink. So if, if I have to might put my money somewhere, I'm, I, I think the rent's going to go a little bit better from now onwards, actually. Now, I understand that you've actually done an analysis of um, some of the economic policies that are actually being brought forth. Uh, I think we've seen many manifesto launches in the last couple of months and uh, thesis upon thesis has come out. uh, But could you just give us some insight? And also, is this research that you are doing on your own or something that you did as Efficient Group? No, no, no. I've done it. Well, I've got a team helping me, of course, but my responsibility in the end, I'm responsible for economic research. And recently I've been dipping my toe a little bit into the political uh, pool as well, so to speak. And what I have been doing, I've been looking at the manifestos of the various political parties, and I've been trying to analyze the political parties and try to slot them in on the political spectrum. Are they left? Are they right? Are they sort of centrist? Uh, so so my, my criteria are the following. Yeah. First of all, I look at the, the track record of a political party, if they do have one. And basically, there are only two political parties with a track record, that's the ANC and the DA. Yeah. Secondly, I look at the, the quality of the, the leadership, and that's quite subjective. You know, I like some guys and some guys I don't like, for various reasons. And then thirdly, I look at the policies of uh, political parties, or if they don't really have a policy, I look at their manifesto, because that is what's going to become their policies if they are elected. So those are my three major criteria that I've looked. I've looked at the, the big parties, of course, the big three, and a couple of the smaller ones as well. And then I've uh, picked uh, 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 four 
very unknown parties for various reasons. Yeah. Like, for example, I looked at Good as a party. I looked at the Cape Party. That's an interesting one for a specific reason. And I also looked at the Land Party. And there's another one. Oh, the Purple Cow Party. That's the <laughs> capitalist party. I also, also at, and I and I and I, I picked these four relatively unknown parties for various different reasons. And if you want to, we can chat about them a little bit. But let me unpack the major parties quickly. The ANC. Uh, if I and that's of course a big one. Uh, if you analyze the ANC, you know they have a track record. We can analyze that. We can look at the political the quality of political leadership, and we can look at the policies. And I can tell you the track record of the ANC is horrible. They've done absolutely <laughs> damage to the South African economy. Yeah. The leadership of the ANC, I would call it a weak leadership. And the reason why I say so is because the president has been elected with a tiny margin. Personally, I like him, but uh, but I don't think he's very strong. His position in the ANC that might change after the elections, and then if you look at the the, tackles, the policies of the ANC, that's certainly much more left leaning, and they've moved more to the left. Uh, and if you look at the the, the the manifesto, for example, nationalisation of the reserve and confiscation of private property, that sort of stuff, and prescribed assets, those are sort of left stuff. Yeah. Um, so so that's the ANC. The DA, uh, the leadership. Let's start off with the leadership. I think most of my money is lightweight. I don't think he really understands the Constitution. He's a nice guy again, but I, I really don't think he's, got the, he's, he's the right person to lead to be the office, official opposition leader. The track record is actually quite good. Okay. He has got a good track record. See what's happening in the Western Cape, and you can also look at the, uh, the municipalities where they are in charge. And their policies, they've been moving more to the left in recent years, but they still sort of, let's call it a centrist, slightly right, I would guess, political party. What I definitely dislike about the... the um, the DIS the fixation on race. And then a couple of the other uh, parties, like, for example, uh, IFP, that's an interesting one. Then, and that, uh, what's the other one that split off the, uh, from the IFP a couple of years ago? They're pretty much the same. Um, and they, let's call it the traditionalist socialist parties on the left, pretty much interventionist. Uh, the Freedom Front Plus, that's another one. That's an interesting one. Uh, they, yeah. uh, they, 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 their policies are very well thought through, especially the fiscal policy side, or at least in the, in the manifesto. That's interesting. But if you listen to the leadership and the way they're positioning themselves, it, it really you get the feeling that they're sort of they're overdoing their opposition to be, you know, one can ask a question, are they only looking at one specific ethnic group? I think that's the criticism against the freedom front. So okay. those are the major parties. If you want to chat about this all at once, of course, there are a couple of interesting things going on there as well. I'm actually interested to hear, especially the reasons why you picked um, the smaller parties that you did, especially that Purple Car Party. Oh, yes. Okay, let's have a look at the Purple Cow. The, 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 the Purple Cow or the Capitalist Party of South Africa, I picked them because um, the Purple Cow, I saw the Purple Cow, and I read through the, <laughs> oh, their kind of uh, the, the ideologies, and they don't really have a policy on that. But I really do like them. I like them because they are hip, young bunch of people. They have an ideological, they've got stars in their eyes. They don't really understand yet what ideologies mean. They don't really have a policy. And they are kind of right, not not radically so, yeah. right of center somewhere. And they and, and I like them because they don't take themselves too seriously. And I think that is a political part. That's the kind of stuff that we need. We need young people to get involved. And the Purple Cow, come on, isn't that a brilliant idea? They're playing <laughs> with social media the way it should be, to, uh, should be done. So that's one party that caught my eye for that reason. Another party that caught my eye for pretty much the same reason, although it is slightly different, 
is the land party. Yeah. Now, the origin of the land party is from Armanis, the, the rights that we saw in Armanis last year. Uh, the leader of the, of the land party is a young guy, quite charismatic. And uh, let me just, uh, let me be honest, I've met some of these guys. They call themselves communists, but if you read, if you read their manifesto, they're pretty much right-wing. So, and, uh, and that's why they're interesting to me, because they're also young, uh, energetic, and I think with a bit of leadership and some coaching, they can also fill that gap that we have slightly on the right of center on the political sphere. So those are the two young parties that I'd really caught my eye. And then the two other ones, the one is the good party. The good party caught my eye because I don't think it's such a good party. And that's because <laughs> of the leadership. <laughs> Patricia De Lille has been everywhere. And whatever they say, you simply cannot believe that because Patricia De Lille, she stands for everything and she stands for nothing. So, so you can't really take her on her word because she really supported all sort of funny things in the past, and who knows what they, what she's going to support in the future. Yeah. So that's the reason why I'm not so don't think the good is such a good party. And then the last one uh, that I think and what's also interesting is the, the Cape Party because they stand for one thing, and that is for the the Western Cape to to, to go it alone, to declare independence, and that is interesting to me because. Uh, you spoke to your previous guest. The South African economy is in a horrible state. And I've got a suspicion that things are going to certainly not improve soon. And in a very bad case scenario, things can really start getting quite difficult for South Africa to, to survive in the current political, let's call it, framework. Yeah. Uh, and there's a possibility that the, the smaller regional parties over time may become more important. Parties like, for example the so-called um, the, 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 the Cape Party. And uh, believe me, that's not the only party that are thinking of breaking South Africa up in smaller pieces. There are some other parties as well and some other institutions as well, some other organizations. But that is the reason why the Cape Party caught my eye because I think in t- over time, uh, regional parties that's got ideas, like, for example, secession, uh, that they make them become more important over time. Um, one of the things that we spoke to uh, our previous uh, guest about is a scenario where you have a coalition government, uh, which, as we approach elections, seems to be more and more of a, a, a big possibility. And yeah. the question we wanted to perhaps get from you, as you said, um, the economy is in a disastrous state at the moment, is... If coalition politics becomes the order of the day after next week, Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, how do you see some of these economic policies either meshing together or actually butting heads? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm a little bit in two minds here on whether I like coalition politics or not. I think we as a country is politically not really there yet where we can make coalition politics work the way that some other countries that have been democracies for longer, uh, where they actually make it work, and they quite often they make it work for for many, many years. I don't think we're there yet. I think over time perhaps that will change. I think that's the first comment. The second comment is that what is clearly happening is that the ANC is gradually losing its massive support base, and in a couple of years' time, uh, the ANC is not going to be the dominant party anymore. It will be, they certainly will be getting less in their support. And eventually the ANC, like everything else, will come to an end. Uh, and, and, and I think coalition politics will become more important over time. Um, how the markets will react to that, I, I'm not entirely sure. I, I guess it depends on who's going to get in bed with whom. 
Uh, if you get the AMC, for instance, getting in bed with, uh, say, the DA, I think the financial markets will probably be more, uh, more uh, will react positive to that. If the ANC, assuming on a national level that the ANC gets less than 50%, which is unlikely. Yeah. If the ANC gets less than 50% and they get in bed with the EFF, I don't think the financial market is going to like that. I think the rand's going to bomb out, the bond market's going to bomb out, and then my prediction about the stronger rand is off the table. <laughs> so, uh, but some other interesting um, uh, combinations, I think, uh, like, for example, a possible coalition in Gauteng, that would be interesting. I don't think the financial market is going to uh, be too concerned about that, even if it's uh, the ANC-EFF coalition in Gauteng. I don't think that is that important. Because national economic policy is set at a national level, and I think it's more important who the ANC decides to go into collision if on a national level. Um, but, but, but I guess the financial market, the reality is that the financial markets prefer slightly more right-leaning political parties than left-leaning political parties. So the EFF is certainly not a darling of the financial market. So, that's us with Davi Root, just letting us know about what the possible economic ramifications might be of next week's polls. Um, some interesting insight just around um, the fact that um, a lot of the economic policy uh, that's coming out from the from the parties sounds good in terms of rhetoric, but it actually um, lacks a lot in terms of how it may be implemented on a practical level. And also just highlighting the fact that um, some of the parties um, might say that they are um, left uh, left leaning but end up having um, rhetoric that is uh, right leaning um, so a very interesting uh, analysis there and then uh, the last thing he said is just the fact that if we do find ourselves in a coalition um, scenario um, on a national level the markets are more likely to react positively to an ANCDA um, ANCDA coalition as opposed to an ANC EFF coalition uh, but on a provincial level um, even if uh, coalition politics prevails um, in Houteng province, for example, um, the, the markets might not be swayed too much. Um, on the other side of this, so we come to the end of the show. The, the Business Buzz. Thank you so much to everyone who was listening to our show. The show has just come to an end. Uh, thank you to our guest, uh, Paul Berkowitz, uh, just giving us uh, what the demographics might uh, do in terms of influencing the election. And to Davi Root, just giving us the economic implications of next week's polls. Um, thank you so much as well uh, to our financial expert, Ken Swetanen, for giving us a roundup of the week's top trending business and economics news. And for everyone who was participating and listening to the show. So that's it for today. We were talking about uh, what the impacts uh, of next week's elections will be on economic stability and investor confidence going forward. I think uh, it's quite unanimous the fact that at the moment um, the investment and business community is waiting to see what the outcome will be. Uh, Some of the big thoughts is that uh, economic uh, policy certainty after the election is the big thing that uh, uh, the business and investment community will be looking for um, from uh, the governing party, um, a coalition whoever ends up being victorious, um, that's what the markets will be looking for. So that's it for today's show. Uh, you can let us know what you think on social media on Facebook we are VARFM, that's Voice of Vits and you can also find our other Facebook page that's uh, 
the Vids Radio Academy. On Twitter, we are ValFM, and then our hashtag is hashtag Business Bus, and then 0840784912 is our WhatsApp line. And remember that podcasts of the Business Bus show um, are available on vids.journalism.co.za forward slash business. So with that, we've come to the end of the show. Uh, thank you so much to our amazing team, our technical producer, that's Kutluano Sadame, together with our executive producer, that's Simba Honde. Shout out to our producers, that's Glory Mabuza and Slindlim Sibi. Don't miss the business bus, same time, same place next week for more insight into the world of business. Up next on the VARFM lineup is Living Electro. Remember that uh, the business bus is sponsored by ABSA. For myself, Mudio Mob, Justice Gavaza, and the rest of the team, it's good evening and take care. Mob Justice on the Business Buzz. The Business Buzz Podcast.